Hello, and welcome to the RPG PodQuest, uh, the show that's not only about RPGs, but also is an RPG. I am one of your hosts, Evan. And I'm your other host, Will. And today, we are going to be uh, reviewing some recent RPG news. We're also going to be tackling our next quests, and I think we've got a great show lined up. I'm really excited to get right into things. So, Will, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. It's been raining nonstop here for the past, like, 48 hours, which is nice because it's been really dry. So, much needed rain. Doing pretty good. Good, good. How is it there? Well, no rain here yet, but we are prepping for a big old tropical storm, so... Oh, that's right. I saw that was headed your way. Yeah, I'm excited about that, I guess. But, uh, yeah, hopefully my Sunday will be spent entirely indoors, maybe uh, getting started on our next quests. Yeah, that'll give you a good excuse to play some games. Certainly. Uh, But this past week has been a light one in terms of sort of new business for me personally. I, I've played a couple of games kind of in preparation for uh, my most recent quest, but uh, I did want to talk about some pretty recent news because it's something that as an RPG podcast, we should probably talk about. So this past week, the Pokemon company, not Nintendo, showed off uh, some new information and uh, new trailers uh, in a Pokemon Presents presentation. And Will, did you have any particular thoughts about any specific games that were shown in this, uh, I think it was about 20-minute video? Um, I have some thoughts. I watched, um, I actually didn't watch the full Presents, but I watched both of the new videos for the new games, and it didn't really change my mind. I was excited to see more of them excited to see some new features in Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl and excited to just see more of uh, Legends. They both look really cool. Uh, It didn't really change my mind in terms of I'm still really excited about seeing something new with Legends of Arceus and seeing Pokemon go in a different direction and I'm still kind of not sold on the Diamond Pearl remakes not because I don't like them but just because you know I have the games on DS still I can still play it and I don't see anything that's going to completely change my experience if I rebuy it again. So I don't know as we get closer I might just get some FOMO and just snatch it up to have it and to enjoy it because I do like Diamond and Pearl but I'm not 100% sold on it yet. Yeah it's actually a pretty tough conundrum that I find myself in. First things first, I should say that I am a definite Poke skeptic. I grew up loving these games. I love them in some ways still to this day, but I haven't been too pleased with the last few releases, uh, at least of mainline Pokemon games. So Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl are, they're, they're tough for me. Back in college, when I was a broke college student, I did trade in some of my old DS games, and unfortunately, Pokemon Pearl was one of them that had to go. I still hung on to my Soul Silver copy, though. That was smart. Definitely, yeah. Those are worth their weight in gold now, no pun intended. <laughs> but I, I, I kicked myself in some ways, because I, I kind of got back into Pokemon. I skipped Ruby, Sapphire, and Emerald. And the uh, red and blue or uh, fire red and leaf green remakes. Uh, And I kind of got back into Pokemon with Pokemon Pearl. And so I've got 
a real soft spot for those games and seeing as these games are like pretty much i don't want to say one-to-one remakes but they're looking really really similar it's kind of got me thinking back to that era but at the same time they release in november and i'm pretty sure they're going to be competing with uh, shin megami tensei 5 which is like my most hyped rpg of the year as of right now so when push comes to shove that is a good point (laughs) yeah when push comes to shove i might just have to uh, sidestep them completely and as someone who hasn't been a fan of really the way the series has been going with sun and moon and sword and shield legends i find really appealing just because it is very different i think some of the new battle mechanics are we're definitely gonna have to see the 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 proof of those working when when we actually have our hands on uh, the game itself this is really why i I wish uh, that they would release some sort of demo, kind of in the vein of, I think the last time they did a demo for a Pokemon game was maybe it was uh, for Sun and Moon, I, I think. Maybe Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon did too, but uh, that's neither here nor there. But I would love to get uh, a feel for how the, the player character is going to move in, in these games uh, and how they are going to be able to interact with the environment because we saw them taking damage from Pokemon, which is is a definite new element. So I'm, I'm really curious about it. And I am the kind of person who I'd rather see a developer do something new and different. Uh, and I, I'd rather, you know, give them the benefit of the doubt with something like that, uh, rather than see them kind of play it safe. And I mean, Sword and Shield did do a lot of things that were new and different, but a lot of those new and different things I bounced off of super hard and I kind of saw that coming but a lot of these things that are in Legends I, I see myself vibing with a, a whole lot uh-huh. excellent yeah uh, but that's that's really all I wanted to talk about in terms of uh, the Pokemon Presents uh, they did mention some stuff about Pokemon Unite and there's a Pokemon Cafe new version coming out do you play Pokemon Unite at all? oh I I have played it I I play it with friends. Um, I see it, it like for me, it's kind of fun as a party game, and I enjoy it in that capacity. But I don't really enjoy like the competitive scene for most games, but specifically for I guess like MOBAs specifically, such as Pokemon Unite, because it just I don't know it takes all the fun out of it when you're when you're all about winning, and that and I like to be winning against. Uh, an AI and like progressing through a story in an RPG, let's say, but I don't find it as satisfying when it's like head to head player versus player. Uh, it just brings out kind of a lot of the toxic culture of games, I feel like, and you end up being upset and not enjoying things where you should just be enjoying the gameplay and and being amazed by like all the cool things you can do and seeing the Pokemon do different things and that gets lost in, in this kind of like heated very stressful match i guess the stressful part of it is what i don't love if i had to (laughs) if i had to name something yeah uh, i understand uh i i'm not really into mobas at all and so i have this downloaded on my switch but honestly i'm probably going to delete it just because i haven't played it uh i think the the only reason i i downloaded it actually was because i saw you tweeting about it okay but yeah i mean like if you have it like it doesn't hurt to give it a shot and like like i said though like it's really fun to play with people but if you're just playing on your own 
there's not much there for me. <laughs> yeah, some of the really only competitive games that I've ever gotten into were things like Splatoon, actually. So, uh, and and even then, you know, there there does come a point where I I like playing just the sort of casual matchmaking and then when i get into the ranked stuff it, it starts to get a little too frustrating for me uh, so i definitely know what you're what you're talking about uh, when you say that but that's also why i like cooperative games more like monster hunter um, i find is is a lot more fun because you're working with uh, even with strangers when you're working together to take down a big monster it's it's very satisfying um, and you don't feel like the monster is trying to cheat you in some ways Although sometimes that can be frustrating. Yes. Uh, yeah, co-op is great. I love co-op games. I wish we had more co-op RPGs, actually. I think that would be really awesome. Yeah, I agree. You know, we talked about the Trials of Mana remake last episode. And while I love that game very much, the original was co-op. Uh, and Secret of Mana, the original, uh, is, is co-op too. I was actually thinking of this one as well, because that's one I would love to play with people, but I've never had that opportunity because it's just such a niche game it's not like hey you want to go over to my play and play secret of mana or whatever like <laughs> you get some weird looks yeah they'd be like no you playing pokemon unite or like dead by daylight <laughs> and i'm like no i'm not yeah i'm lucky that i have some friends who are also really into rpgs so i played i'd say probably maybe the first quarter of secret of mana co-op but uh, it's also Kind of, kind of a tough game too, but the Trials remake was not co-op, which I thought was a huge bummer. And then the kind of co-op RPG of, I would say, 2020, for me, I was hoping was going to be the Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles remake, which uh, it, it, it didn't do it, <laughs> which was... Did you play that much? Uh, I played I played a whole lot, actually. <laughs> Oh, really? Cool. Yeah, um, I played a bit of it, um, like on the free trial, and you could join up with people. Right. Um, and you could play a decent amount that way, but then like no one was playing it, so I just kind of dropped off. But I really enjoyed the limited time that I did spend with it. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I mean, I love the game just in terms of its aesthetics, and the, the gameplay is, is fun too. Uh, although, as soon as you start playing co-op, you have to have someone... Uh, carry your chalice which is kind of a bummer yes it's not the most fun <laughs> yeah but uh overall i think the the game is really delightful i just think the matchmaking system was what really killed a lot of people's enthusiasm for the game mm. and unfortunately they did patch it and, and made it better in some ways uh, kind of down the down the road but i think it was too little too late so yeah and i feel like for whatever reason people really wanted to hate that game like i don't feel like most people gave it a chance like they were just like oh it's bad um and they didn't really i don't know like a lot of games get a pass especially a big franchise and it's kind of like a spin-off so i think people weren't really as excited about it as they would be for a mainline Final Fantasy game. But if it was a mainline Final Fantasy game, I feel like people would have given it a pass and given it more chance. Like, for example, Final Fantasy XIV, A Realm Reborn, which people gave a second chance after terrible first experiences. And this one, they were just like, no, I'm good. It's bad. Uh, so I, I wish people would give it more of a chance and it could have a, a second wind. Me too. I agree, but unfortunately, it just doesn't seem to be uh, the the way that that game went, and that makes me sad because 
I also think that the DS Crystal Chronicles games were even better sort of co-op RPG experiences. And if there were any games that could really benefit from having an update or even having their their gameplay style updated for a a more modern audience, it it would be those. But I just, I don't think it's going to happen. I would love to see a Switch remaster, like packaging them all together. That would be so cool because I really enjoyed the DS ones as well. And those were actually, I didn't, actually I did play Crystal Chronicles on the GameCube back in the day a little bit. Like, I rented it once to see what it was, and I was like, this isn't the Final Fantasy I know. Um, And I didn't have anyone to play it with, and it was difficult to play that one multiplayer. So my real first experience with Crystal Chronicles was on the DS, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, well, again, I do think uh, Echoes of Time in particular might actually be one of my favorite DS games, uh, period. It was super fun. But I'm I'm always keeping my eye out for co-op RPG experiences. And so if any of those do come up, I will be sure to talk about them on the show. And uh, hopefully maybe we can get something uh, together where we can uh, play uh, together on, on Switch or, or what have you in the future. Let's do. I'm in. <laughs> awesome. So while... A lot of what I've been playing this week has been in preparation for my quests. We do have a couple of, of topics that we did want to talk about just in, in further detail. So, Will, I think you wanted to talk a little bit more about uh, Boyfriend Dungeon? Yes, I did. I was mostly focused on my quest as well, but I was really into Boyfriend Dungeon last time. Uh, like for our last show, we talked a little bit about it, but I, I just plowed through the rest of it and finished it. Um, earlier this week and then really dove into the game I was playing for my quest so yeah I really enjoyed it a lot I had a lot of fun with it and I was kind of confused though because it I don't know like you talked a little (laughs) bit about yeah like I didn't know how far I was in the game ever and then suddenly I got to this point where I completed the first dungeon and I was like, oh, there's multiple dungeons. I didn't know that. I thought there was just this one. And then like shortly after I started the second one, um, the cousin who's like your guide through the game kind of was like, you're over halfway done now. And I was like, I am? What does that mean? <laughs> and then all of a sudden, like I feel like it was like a 30 minutes to an hour of more gameplay. He was like, whoa. The summer's almost over and your journey here is almost done. And I was like, what? Why? Like, what What did I do? What kind of progression did I make that was that drastic since the last 30 minutes? And then I think the game's trajectory is based around, like, maxing out your relationship with one character. Does yes. that yeah. is that your understanding as well? Exactly. Okay. Because once I got to there, it was like, and now it's the end. And I was like, it is? Okay. Yeah. Here we so go. Let's do this. This is this is kind of this goes back to that comment that I made uh, last week where I was talking a little bit about how the progression systems and uh, a lot of the systems of the game didn't really feel like they factored into one another all that well. But I, I did find it very surprising uh, that they really focus on the, you know, romance sim aspect as a means of progression rather than the dungeon crawling which i mean i don't know personally you know i haven't gone back to the game to try this Uh, i i have started a new file just because i want to see you know if if i can change the outcome uh, of of certain events Uh, but i don't know if you can 
beat the story of the game before beating the second dungeon you can Um, i can confirm this (laughs) (laughs) i was like almost at the end of the second dungeon i think but i didn't complete it and then my cousin was like time for the game to end very soon and i was like okay i guess uh i guess this is it but are there more than two dungeons did you is there a third or a fourth there are only two dungeons in the game right now. Okay. And well, that's kind of weird for... that I didn't finish it then, if there was only two. I thought there must have been three or four. Yeah. It, it's it's strange to me, uh, again, that a game called Boyfriend Dungeon... I mean, I, I definitely got the boyfriend part, don't get me <laughs> wrong, but the, the dungeon part I found a little bit lacking. And there are other elements of the game, too, that I, I felt conflicted with one another, you know, they, they really do push this idea of going on dates or, or meeting up with, uh, you know, you're not necessarily the one who's always initiating things, but uh, you're, you're meeting with these characters and improving uh, your relationship or your, your love level with them. And there are opportunities when you're on your dates where you can give them gifts. And you can also give them gifts at certain junctures in the dungeons themselves as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... I never felt like the material grind to make gifts kept pace with the amount of dates that I was going on. And yeah. I don't know if maybe you felt this way too, but I felt like I was almost like I would skip the opportunity to give gifts at certain points because I didn't feel like I had the right gift for the person who I was dating. Yep. And so that was a little frustrating uh, in some ways. Um, but uh, again, you know, I, I don't know how long your playthrough took you. I, I would say mine took me about 10 hours. It's not that I didn't enjoy the game. I, I enjoyed going into the dungeons and I enjoyed seeing all of those, uh, all of those relationships that you could build. I, I just felt that the pacing was surprisingly brisk. Yes, and surprising <laughs> was my big takeaway. I was never sure yeah. where I was in the game. And and the, the briskness, too, is something that I really noticed, too, because it felt a little rushed. And I enjoyed how bite-sized a lot of different aspects of it were. And I liked that that was on me to kind of decide. Like, I could have played more. I could have gone on more dates with more characters. But I basically went through one and maxed them out and then went through a couple other ones when they were at levels where it was locked and I couldn't do anything more. Um mm-hmm. So I like that I had the option to go through it as quick as I did. I feel like I probably came in at around eight hours, maybe. And if more dungeons were required or the second one was required to finish, I would have done it and I would have been happy with it. But it would have felt more like a slog. Like I kind of liked how what a tight package it was and that, you know, I could have chosen to do more if I wanted to. It wasn't that the game was like, no, it's just done. It was like, you can be done now if you want to be. Because <laughs> they made it clear like this is the end now that you're progressing toward. It, it just caught yeah. me off guard that it was happening at that moment. So I wish there was a little more clarity, I guess, on the overall arc of the story. And I think it could have been something as simple as like a calendar or something because it takes place over the course of a summer. So it could have said like, you're now at the end of June or something, um, so you know like where you are in this timeline. I at one point I thought that maybe the plot progression was based around how many times I had actually gone into the dungeon. That's what I thought um, actually all along until it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, and and so I was like, oh, 
you know, maybe I should try to foster these relationships more. But then, of course, the main way of fostering those relationships is bringing them into dungeons. And I do agree that the the game does a, a pretty good job of allowing you to tackle what content that you want to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and something that I really like is once you max out one relationship, you get some abilities to like really accelerate the maxing out of other relationships as well. At least I that's what happened in my playthrough as well so i assume that yeah that's what just happened (laughs) okay yeah yeah so that's cool because it kind of allows you to see all of the content that you Mm -hmm. might have missed at a even more brisk pace but i also think that the 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 system of being able to swap your weapons in between dungeon floors is really really empowering because it allows you to grind at like whatever pace you really want to but it also accelerates your relationships and, and your levels and the, the way that you're progressing through the game really quickly. And so if they wanted to elongate the experience uh, in some ways, uh, they might not have used that system, or maybe they would have played around with the experience uh, amounts a little bit. But again, I, I, I would not say that I am disappointed with the experience that I had. I just was surprised at how brave right, it was. Yeah, same here. And I think overall I was very pleasantly surprised. I didn't expect to like the game at all, honestly, and I really enjoyed it. And it's a a new game that like I'll look back on and compare other things to and think about a lot, I think, um, as I explore other games. And I also just want to mention that the ending cutscene was adorable as a little incentive for anyone who's <laughs> yeah. who hasn't played through the game yet. Yeah, it is. Uh, and I do know that, again, this game was kickstarted, uh, which I, I wasn't aware of uh, initially, but I do know that there are some more weapons on the way, and they're probably going to be in, in some sort of DLC expansion, and that will probably improve the length or the breadth of content in the game as well. So I'm I'm curious to see what they do. But you do get a hint at who one of those uh, future editions will be during the plot of the story. So I'm not sure if you picked up on that, Will, but uh, there is a character who you almost get the chance to, uh, to, to make something happen with, but he kind of backs out at the last second. Uh, so I'm not trying to give any spoilers away to people who haven't played the game, but he is definitely going to be appearing in the future in some form. And honestly... Interesting. Yeah, and honestly... Uh, <laughs> As a very explicit tease, um, which, again, with a game like this, maybe the the (laughs) tease is very intentional, Um, but uh, as a tease at, at what is to come, uh, I, I, my curiosity was uh, piqued and to come back to this game and to be able to play a little bit more and to see some new content is honestly a really appealing prospect for me. Yeah, I'd be really curious to come back and see some downloadable content boyfriends or or cat friends or girlfriends or whatever. All of the above. Yeah. Well, I, I, the, the information on who these characters are going to be is actually really easily accessible if you were to go onto the internet and, and look for... Uh, information regarding them so while 
I don't want to spoil things for anyone. If you are curious about what might be coming in the future, you can find it pretty easily. Okay. Um, so I wanted to talk about uh, just a couple of other uh, games that I played partially in preparation for this episode, but also just for for some maybe curious talking points. Uh, so I have been playing Monster Train uh, for Switch RPG, and I will be writing a review for that game. And what I'm going to say just right off the bat is uh, if you're a fan of games like Slay the Spire, deck building, uh, roguelikes, this game is most definitely for you. I don't know if it will maybe surpass my love of Slay the Spire, but I will say that Slay the Spire hasn't been doing it for me lately, Mm. and maybe I was just looking for something fresh and new, and Monster Train is definitely scratching that itch. Uh, I also tried out the demo for a new game uh, that is coming really soon, I think at the beginning of September, called Ultra Age. Uh, I was really surprised to see that this game was even going to be coming to the Nintendo Switch uh, because the sort of initial promotional materials for it look beautiful, and I think it will probably play and run the best on more powerful systems, but I'm really pleased that it's coming to Switch too. Uh, It is an action-adventure game, But I did notice while I was playing through the demo that there were a lot of RPG systems in it. And now I don't think that it is ultimately going to be more RPG than it is action-adventure. This is something that I did just kind of want to bring up because it's something that we sometimes see in these sorts of games. And so I did want to ask you, Will, are you familiar with action games in the vein of Bayonetta or Devil May Cry or Astral Chain? Um, I haven't played many. I have played Astral Chain, though. Um, that's okay. only one of those that I've played. When I've played, like, um, uh, when I think of, like, Nier Automata, which is compared to those games sometimes as well. Yeah, and I would say that Nier Automata is actually more of an RPG than those other games yes. are. Yes, yes, I would. And I think, like, even Astral Chain was a bit RPG-ish as well, but it did feel a bit action-heavy for my particular taste. Yeah, and and that is something that I wanted to talk about, because in this game in particular, there's lots of weapon switching. So weapon switching has become uh, a a big thing in a lot of games nowadays. One of my favorite Switch RPGs uh, is Xenoblade Chronicles, which is all about uh, switching uh, weapons. Well, actually, I should say Xenoblade Chronicles 2 is more than, uh, than the original. But this game has you not only switching weapons, but there's also a durability system to your weapons. And when you break a weapon, you kind of do it in a very flashy way that can be uh, powered up. So you can actually make your weapon breaking stronger. But when you interact with save points uh, in Ultra Age, there are big, sprawling weapon trees or skill trees for your weapons. And... While they are very tantalizing, you really you're able to upgrade these weapons by defeating enemies, and you can go back and and refight enemies. So you can kind of grind up your currency to spend on these skill trees. But ultimately, the game really does telegraph that you are going to have to use all four of the weapons that are available to you uh, in order to 
fight all of the different kinds of enemies in the game. So while you might maybe focus on one kind of weapon more than the other, this isn't really an RPG because it's not allowing you to really pick the play style that you really want to invest in. You could definitely probably fill out a skill tree uh, a whole lot more than the others, but I, I, I do think that the the appealing part of the gameplay is switching between weapons. But I did just also want to say that it has a very similar sort of combo system to uh, the Warriors systems uh, or the Warriors games. So you're using light and heavy attacks and you can kind of chain light attacks into heavy attacks and it's appealing in that way, but it, I think the nuance really comes from the weapon breaking oh, system. Oh, that's cool. And also, when you switch between weapons, you can actually perform a skill. So this kind of maybe, yeah, it, it leads kind of into uh, a, a discussion of Xenoblade Chronicles 2's DLC expansion, which did you ever play that, Will? I did. I'm, I'm up to talk about Xenoblade anytime you'd like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so one thing that I absolutely love about Torna, the Golden Country's combat system, is that when you switch out uh, your playable character, because in the DLC expansion, it's less about changing weapons and more about changing party members. But when you switch them out, you perform a skill. And so Ultra Age kind of has that uh, similar sort of mechanic where when you switch your weapon, you're performing a skill as you do it too. And some of the skills are offensive in nature, but some of them are defensive. And that's a that's a really neat sort of system to be playing around with. That's a really cool mechanic, especially if like switching weapons and breaking weapons and things is such a core of that gameplay to be able to kind of reward you and add an extra layer when you use the systems correctly. That's really cool. Yeah. So I will say I'm not really much of an action game fan. I don't like the stress of, of having to perform at <laughs> at a high level uh, yep. <laughs> in, in, a, in a game like that. Um, but I found this game to be pretty accessible and enjoyable. Uh, and so maybe if I do pick this up, uh, it might be the gateway into some of these other games because I, I really haven't clicked with a whole lot of other action games previously, but I really like the feel of, of Ultra Age in particular. Interesting. And well, that sounds really cool. Yeah, and the game that I want to talk about to kind of lead into our quests, uh, Ooh, Will, drum roll. is I was replaying SteamWorld Heist. So I'm not sure if you're familiar with SteamWorld Heist at all, Will. Have you ever watched any or, or read any information about it? Um, I've watched like some very like high-level YouTube videos, like reviews and and people just talking about their reactions and that kind of thing, but I don't know a lot of details about it. So SteamWorld Heist is a strategy RPG made by the SteamWorld team. Uh, and at first glance, you might be a little bit surprised to think that because it's a 2D game and the environments are, well, they're all 2D as well, but they're they're randomized too. So a lot of the areas that you're going to be encountering are, are randomly generated, but they might all have very specific elements in them uh, that, that you will be interacting with. Um, so there are some maps that 
are going to have a random element, but they're always going to have the same objective. So you know what you're sort of getting into when you play the game. Uh, but SteamWorld Heist was released before SteamWorld Quest. And I remember after the first time I played SteamWorld Heist, which was back when it was first released on the Nintendo 3DS, I was like, I want this team to make an RPG so mm. bad. Uh, because I think the thing that Image and Form really knows how to do very well is create these very addictive gameplay loops. And what SteamWorld Heist does really well is it presents you with very bite-sized strategy scenarios uh, that you kind of, when you're successful at them, you always feel a sort of positive feedback loop happen happening. Uh, so SteamWorld Heist, it's very largely the, the combat is centered around ranged combat. Uh, and so you're, you're shooting guns, and one of the sort of random elements uh, in the game is that since you're playing as steampunk robots, their aim is kind of uh, rickety. So even when you're aiming, they're kind of, they're, their aim is wavering, I think mm. is the word that I'm looking for. Uh, and so you kind of need to time your shot at the right point for them to fire in the right direction. Uh, and then there are also some guns, too, that have really strong kickback. So you might aim in one direction, but the spread of the bullets might go vertically uh, in, in one uh, direction or the other. So there's a random element to it, too. But uh, it's it's a great game. And it's it in, in some ways, I think it's a better game than uh, SteamWorld Quest is. But I guess we could talk a little bit about that when we get into our quests so i think that's as good a time as any to transition into our quests and so well why don't you uh why don't you start us off all right onward to the questing um so my quest actually last time or this time that i rolled for and got last time and i will be questing on this time is the first enemy encounter of the show um so it's a little bit of a challenge to to dive into a game. Um, and my enemy encounter was item 10 on the quest board, which is play a less than 20 hour RPG. Um, I was excited to get this one because I always play really long RPGs and not a lot of them because, you know, it just takes so much time. So I was excited to kind of test the waters with a shorter game. Because if I if I can get into shorter games more and make it more part of my my own gaming loop, um, I think I'll be able to play more games and more different kinds of games, which is exciting. So this time I chose to play a less than twenty hour RPG that we talked about last time. And if you remember, uh, it was a game that came up earlier in conversation, and I was like, "Ooh, maybe I can play that one if my quest allows." And it did allow. So the <laughs> game that I ended up playing was Steam World Quest. Uh, it's been on my to playlist for the longest time, ever since I first heard of it, and it's just always at the top of that list. But there's always some bigger, longer RPG that comes out, and then I'm like, "Oh, I gotta play." whatever this next big new game is. Yep. So it just sits there at the top <laughs> of my list and never gets played. So this was a great excuse for me to say, you know what, I'm just going to play it. 
So right after last week's episode, I quickly Googled or searched like how long to beat. And I was like, is Team World Quest less than 20 hours? Okay, yes, it is. So I will play that. And I downloaded it right away and started playing. And I've really enjoyed it a lot. Um, so I am curious, how yes. far would you say you think you are? Or how many hours do you think you've played of this? Well, that's the funny part. I, I've played all the hours already. Oh, I really? completed the game yesterday. Awesome. <laughs> and it took me 14.5 hours. Very nice. I don't... I'm not usually aware of how long it takes me to beat a game exactly, but I was like, I'm really curious, since this one is a time constraint, how long it is going to take me. And I don't know that I really rushed through more than I normally would. Like, it was definitely in my head, it would be cool if I finished for the episode and could talk about the whole game. But um, I didn't really rush, and I took time to experiment with different card combinations. I might have done so a little more had I not been doing it for the episode, but I think that, like, I played it on very easy, because that's how I play everything. Um, And then if I really like a game, I'll go back and play it another time in a different way and this is one where I was like okay I can see there can be some more strategy if I play it on a harder difficulty and I think that would be a fun way to replay it for me so I didn't feel like I had to tap into every possible like niche strategy but I could just experiment and have fun and use the cards that were getting me through the game. I think one of the great things that all of Image Informs games do uh and so if you ever were curious about playing SteamWorld Heist too, uh, is they make you aware of all of the, the different options that you, you have in order to maybe deepen your experience or experience more of the game. So I do know that there is a Coliseum section of SteamWorld mm-hmm. Quest, which has a lot of tough enemy encounters, but they really do require you to make uh, more streamlined sorts of builds with your cards. So I think that is definitely worth uh, looking into, but there's also this great feature, uh, a great feature, sometimes infuriating too, uh, where they, where they tell you whether or not you've explored all of the areas and picked up all of the items uh, in a certain map. And I really enjoyed that because I could go through the level because a kind of quirk of SteamWorld Quest is that it's chapter-based uh, in, in some ways, and those chapters are these little like micro-environments or micro-dungeons, I guess you could, you could call them. But they they let you know whether or not you've explored them in their entirety. So when you complete them, you can say, oh, I want to go back and I want to try this again, or maybe I want to try a new strategy uh, in this area. And you can really just kind of play around with the game a little bit more. And because the game is such a smooth playing experience, I think it's it's very appealing to come back to uh, as well. But what are some of your thoughts on the mechanics or, or even just the, the, the quality of the campaign? Because again, you said that shorter RPGs aren't really your thing. Yeah, and it, it was an eye-opening experience for me because it's not the only or the first shorter RPG I've played, but... The the list is very small. Um, <laughs> so it made me realize that, yeah, like, it, I think it did everything it sets out to do. It does it well. It was a great, like, very polished, full RPG experience. 
that made me realize that bigger isn't always better. And there's like just the right amount of dialogue. There's just the right amount of story that moves it along, but still focuses on the gameplay and lets it shine. So I really admired that about it and thought it did an amazing job um, at kind of weaving everything together. And like the story wasn't overly complex or super deep or meaningful but it was exactly what it needed to be. It was very humorous. It moved the plot along, moved you through different areas, made you like the characters and and just have a fun time. And I think I think the fact that the story and the game itself was shorter did like I don't know, it was a very different experience than I'm used to because I'm used to like sitting down and like okay, we're going to watch watch cutscenes for 15 minutes now. Yeah, but yeah. it allowed more of the time to be spent on gameplay, uh, just by sheer nature of the breakdown of, you know, time spent in a battle versus in a dialogue section of the game. So I thought that was really cool and really interesting too. And then, like, I don't know, but I feel like maybe I'll be more impatient with longer dialogue scenes in longer <laughs> games now because I'll be like, I've seen that this isn't necessary. Well. I, I do think that with shorter games, and I've seen this with a, a couple of other shorter RPGs that I've played, and I, I think that Boyfriend Dungeon, kind of mm-hmm. just having completed this, uh, puts this in perspective too. Because uh, if you kind of stack that up, uh, I think of Boyfriend Dungeon, I think of SteamWorld Quest, Heist as well, and then I also, one of the shorter RPGs that comes to mind is Cosmic Star Heroine, which is a really, really great nice neat short rpg but they all kind of lean into their camp or their their comedy a little bit more and i think it's easier to condense a a plot or to have the characters become a little bit more endearing through camp and comedy Uh, because i do Mm -hmm. think a lot of these characters in this game uh, in steamworld quest uh, specifically are are campy are silly uh, but Another thing that I really do like about it is that each of these characters has like a pretty decent through line sto- or or story uh, aspect to them. You you do get to see, I think, save for oh gosh, I'm I'm blanking on the the frog themed uh, robot. His name, but oh yes, I forget. He he's the one character that I feel is a little underdeveloped uh, in comparison. But a couple of the the recruitable or the, the characters that you get as the story comes along have really enjoyable, endearing uh, sorts of personalities to them. And I, that was something that I was kind of taken aback by because in a shorter RPG experience, you might expect to kind of lose some of the nuance of those characters. And I think you lose them. You do lose that nuance, but you gain a sort of maybe bite-sized or episodic uh, sort of appreciation for each of these characters. So that's something that I tend to enjoy uh, a fair bit. Was there any uh, other elements of the game that you wanted to to point out? Um, yeah, I have a, a lot of elements I'd like to. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> like it's a it's a smaller package, but. Again, like I guess that's my main takeaway that it it was a fully fledged RPG experience in that limited space, and it reminded me of um, Batankatos because 
that's the only other game I've played that is like a full RPG experience with a card-based battle system. And I'd like to, like, I'm curious to look and see if I can find more games that are as much of an RPG like that. Um, maybe that will be a further quest down the road or something. But I was really, really blown away by that. Um, but again, like the the card structure is at the heart of it and what made it so fun um, in terms of just the moment-to-moment gameplay, um, which is interesting because that's kind of layered on top of the RPG mechanics. Um, yeah, but it, but again, they all make that shine. Like everything leads back to that battle system and making it fun. I think. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so I, I think just some of the cards that are featured in this game are super fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know uh, Copernica, who's like my personal favorite, is the mage character of this game. Has a card called Glass Cannon, which is you know an RPG trope mm-hmm. uh, in some ways, uh, and and is super cute, but. Yeah, I, I do like how there are there are other systems going on in the background aside from this strategy, uh, this moment to moment card card playing, uh, and and how that all kind of comes together. It I, I think it it benefits again seasoned deck builders a little bit more uh, in in some ways. I felt that I, I will say. The first time that I played through this game, I beat the final boss and it took me no less than 120 turns. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And I, I remember that because they tell you how many turns it's taken for you to to complete a battle in this game. And I I just remember I had put together a deck that synergized really really well and so i could outlast the boss for that long an (laughs) amount of time and it was really wild but a lot of fun and i think that speaks a great deal to how polished the card system is which really blows my mind because again for a, a a less than 20 hour rpg experience i feel like this is balanced very well yeah and i felt like i could build decks to different strategies but like I feel like in a game like this that's shorter, I would expect like to f- be finding the one that strategy that the developers put in for you to find, so you'd feel like you know like this kind of illusion of choice or something that yeah. you'd really thought of it and broken all the rules like solving a puzzle in Zelda or something. You're like, oh, I figured it out. I'm so unique and special. But it's like no, like that was put there by the developers for you to solve in the way that you did it. Um, so I felt like that's what I expected, but. I found strategies that I liked and felt like, oh, there's so many ones that are untapped that I can try on another playthrough. Like, I basically found one strategy for each character that I really liked and then made it better and better as I went. Yeah. And I really enjoyed that. And, like, there were tons of cards that you can craft and only get through crafting. And I didn't craft many cards at all. So, like, I know there's a lot untapped for me to try again. I know. And yeah. <laughs> like the first spell that really excited me was or card, I don't know if they're called spells, but they're like spells, I guess. Was the first like X casting costs that I got because yeah. I was like, "Ooh, this reminds me of Magic the Gathering mm-hmm. and I know I can like go crazy with this strategy." So, it was a spell was it was called Cycle and Slash from Oric the fox hmm. samurai character yeah who is um, i i think has so many awesome 
just so many awesome cards and such a cool play style yeah so i was like i'm gonna maximize this and that was the first strategy i really leaned into so i did i got like all of the cards that would allow me to pump his critical chance and then all the ones that would allow me to build up the steam meter which allows you to cast stronger cards Mm -hmm. and use it as fast as i could for as much damage as possible and like by later in the game it was just destroying everything like it would and it was so satisfying because it hits like it hits x number of times and multiplies by two or something for each one so it hit 22 was the max so like when i would get it up to its (laughs) ultimate while it was with max critical it would just be literally 22 critical hits and i were like boom 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 boom, and it was so satisfying yeah that is that is truly the beauty of uh of a card system like this another really cool thing and I mentioned it in our last episode is I love how this battle system allows you to synergize with certain party members. Mm-hmm. So while there, these cards are very limited in their utility because you have to be using two specific characters in order to u- uh, utilize them. They do have these sort of dual, I guess in, in magic, the gathering terms, you would call them dual color cards, but they're dual character mm-hmm. cards. So, they have like these very specific niche uses, but if you're creating a party that specifically needs this sort of ability or may, might benefit from that sort of ability, it's it's featured there as well. Um, but yeah, you you do definitely you strike home to the the beauty of how there there's a numbers based element to the the leveling up mechanics and the stat mechanics of this game. But then there's also applying all of those stats to these cards and seeing how or what the result of, of these combinations uh, is, I think is really cool. Yeah. They did a really good job balancing all that out. And I think that like we talked about a bit last episode or you did, I think that um, like coming from magic, the gathering and wanting to play, Uh, video games that have card systems within them i think they can also often be more satisfying because i think that magic the gathering for example to throw a little shade at it um (laughs) it gets really competitive once you dig into strategies more deeply and it takes a lot of the fun and joy out of it it becomes all about maximizing your win percentages and it's like it's kind of counterproductive for a game where randomization should really be at the heart of it and make it fun and exciting and not make you get salty because you know you drew the wrong card at the wrong time like that's how the game works and i think this game steam world quest really captures that and has the random aspects being fun and challenging rather than making you get mad that you drew the wrong card because that's (laughs) just not fun that's not how the game works that's not how you should be thinking about it so I thought that was kind of an interesting learning from the game that I took away. Yeah. Uh, and again, you know, I, I do wonder sometimes if I have a bias. Uh, uh, well, I definitely have a bias for these sorts of games due to my love of, of Magic the Gathering. But uh, I, I do see the appeal of the, the, the smaller deck sizes. You know, this mm-hmm. game... Oh, oh, only requires that you have a, a certain amount of cards and then the the max deck size is well i'm not even sure if there is one uh, I, I don't I th- recall actually i think it's well i don't know if there's a way to expand it but i think like generally it's 24 because you can have eight per character right 
and you can't go over that. Yeah, yeah. So you 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 get to see cards come up more frequently, which I mm-hmm. think is is more rewarding. Yes, um, especially in a system like this. So uh, those are all really good points. Uh, and well, that's another interesting point too about the the size of the deck versus like Magic, where you have like a sixty card deck, and here you have a twenty four card deck. So you don't have to put as many duplicates of cards in it, which I find interesting because coming from Magic, I'm like, I need four of all the good cards. So I draw it consistently. But then I'm like, no, I'm like churning through the deck like crazy, especially on longer boss battles. I'm going to see the cards that are one of many times. And it made for a more streamlined deck building experience, I think. Yeah. And, you know, I think the the main difference between a game like this and maybe something like Slay the Spire is Slay the Spire, you draft cards into your deck, mm-hmm. um, you know, throughout the, the course of your entire run. But you can really screw yourself with a bad choice early on and then get just bad luck in terms of drafting new cards. With this game, you have the opportunity to stop and say, okay, what resources do I have? Do I want to draft any of these in? Uh, And, you know, even do I want to stop at a shop and make something completely different or new that will really benefit my overall build? Which I think is, again, a really empowering uh, sort of decision to give uh, a, a player and contextualizing it in the way of these cards is another neat sort of facet so right uh, and i find that more of like a better rpg experience too where you feel like you have this deck that you're customizing like the characters and that's really how you're customizing their abilities is through this deck that evolves and changes and you can customize as you see fit definitely Uh, Were there any other mechanics or aspects, facets of the game that you found particularly enjoyable or that you wanted to point out? Yeah, there are two other things I wanted to talk about quickly before we get over to your quest. Sure. um, Which are um, the overall kind of level design I found interesting because, like you mentioned this earlier, that the dungeon, it's like divided into chapters, which are smaller dungeon areas. And you kind of like wander from screen to screen and you'll see this branching path in a map um, in the lower right of the screen. So you'll mm-hmm. see like where the exits are because it is it is like a 2D um, image and it can be hard to see things like that. So I appreciated that they showed the exits clearly on the map. Right. Um, but there's still some exploration. There's some hidden things you can find on the screens, which are fun. And the thing that I really appreciated that like it used this this kind of old-fashioned dungeon design in a way that feels like a very classic RPG experience like almost like those I forget what they're called but like you know those older RPGs like Dragon Quest did this where you're like in a dungeon and it's like a first-person view when you fight the monsters and stuff yeah so it looks kind of like that but it's way more (laughs) modern in execution and like even when you enter a battle it does kind of cut to a different to a battle screen mm-hmm. but it's so seamless like it just like it's more like these swords pop up on the screen to signal that it's a battle and it kind of zooms in it's not like loading a different screen for the battle so it feels really seamless and nice um, but the thing I appreciated the most about it was like as you go on the levels get more complex and you'll have to find switches and solve puzzles and things and there's some backtracking involved but they made it so streamlined and nice because 
a couple points specifically, I remember I found a switch that opened a gate like way earlier in the level. And when I did that, like a hole just randomly appeared beside the switch. And I was like, go here to go back to the gate. And I'm like, yes, thank you. Yeah. I solved the puzzle. I don't need to walk through the whole dungeon again. That's awesome. Yeah. That's, and, and that's something that even in, uh, image informs other games, maybe less so in SteamWorld heist, but they also made SteamWorld uh, dig one and two. And, those are both Metroidvanias. You know, they're they're a very different genre of game, but Metroid itself is is very keen on that sort of looping path philosophy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I feel like they took their experience with that genre and applied it to this. And yeah, the streamlining of these uh, dungeons hugely factors into the pacing uh, and the progression of the story and and the, the game time and it it makes you want to play more of the game too yeah you know, you, yeah because you know it's going to be a really easy experience so right that's I'm not just gonna be a, beating my head against the wall and exactly. i really appreciate that yeah <laughs> and that's something that i i love about this game in particular but really all of this developer's work is is very similar in that vein and what was the the last uh, element that you wanted you to counted touch on? <laughs> uh, the last one um, was the music which i really enjoyed it sounds really adventurous and exciting and new um, and they did an amazing job with it and there was one track in particular that like i was singing to myself or like humming to myself all the time which i was thought was really cool and is like kind of a standout in gaming music for me now like really? it kind of just I don't know, it just really clicked with me and I loved it. And you unlock uh, like the soundtrack in a, in a menu that you can listen to all the songs. So I could see what it was called. Um, so that was cool. So it's called First Battle. Mm-hmm. But I really loved that song. It has a fun, exciting, like epic battle aspect to it. But then it has this kind of like weird, dreamy part to it, which I really loved. Yeah, again, another thing about all of uh, these SteamWorld games is I think their aesthetics are super on point. And this game in particular is a little bit uncharacteristic of the whole series in that you do get to fight some enemies at certain points that are much more fantastic than they are SteamWorldy. And mm-hmm. that's that's another weird thing. You know, maybe a, a newcomer to this series might be like, why are these robots going on this quest? <laughs> uh, yep. And there's actually a, a pretty cute little uh, detail of note is when you first start the game, uh, this is a, a, a certain character telling their their young steam bot uh, <laughs> relative, I guess, uh, a story. So mm-hmm. this is this is all taking place within like a, a fantastic setting. But that that cool. individual who's telling the story is actually a character from Steamworld Heist. So that's how they kind of contextualize this game. And I will say that the the other Steamworld games are are much more about robots and. Uh, a, a ste- have a little bit more of a steampunk vibe and I am rather surprised that you enjoyed the soundtrack uh, that much I would I would actually say that this in comparison with the other SteamWorld games I would say that Quest's uh, soundtrack is a little bit weaker than other ones 
but I, I still enjoyed the soundtrack. Um, and, you know, as a newcomer to the series, that might be the entry point that makes you go off into some of their uh, other games. Um, but I, I think the the soundtrack quality just across this whole SteamWorld series is really great. And the individuals who composed a lot of songs for SteamWorld Heist, they're actually a steampunk-themed band called Steam Steam Power Giraffe. Yeah, a uh, very, very strange band. But the, the character that they bring to SteamWorld Heist in particular is uh, awesome. And a very different vibe from from this game but i do think that the soundtrack for this game fits it very well that's amazing i'm curious to hear more and try the other games because this was my entry point um, and it's exciting to hear that the other ones might be even better yeah and i don't know if you know going back to steamworld heist i i had some thoughts i do think that quest is an easier uh, experience i think it's it's more accessible but i think that heist is overall the, the the better game and i think it's a it's a great point to go to next if you want something still in the vein of like a turn-based mm-hmm. battle system but steam world dig one and two are also great games the first dig was truly one of the the first games that i was surprised to see my playtime for that first released on the Nintendo 3DS and the 3DS had this great play log app that you could look in to see like how, how long you had played games for and not only their overall play time, but how long your sessions were. And my steam world dig save file was like an eight hour long play time. And my play sessions were four hours each Wow! <laughs> because of how addictive it was. <laughs> Uh, but is a great game, and then the sequel is is even better. So I'm really glad that you enjoyed it, and I'm glad that uh, you you were able to pick it up uh, so quickly after our last episode where I, I gushed about it a little bit. Yeah, that was really awesome. It aligned perfectly. And I completed my first enemy encounter, which is exciting. Yes, congratulations. Thank you. I don't you. know if we'll play, we'll play a victory fanfare here, but uh, that is certainly worth celebrating. Yes, uh, um, and I just want to say, like, I really enjoyed this this quest, this enemy encounter, and I think it's one I'm going to grind out in my personal life, um, trying to play more shorter RPGs and get more variety in my life. Awesome. So it really and yeah, it's a it's a tough it's a tough qualifier to come up with, but if you haven't played Cosmic Star Heroine, I would strongly recommend it. I think you would probably enjoy that as well. I have to check that one out as well. All right, should we move on to your quest, Evan? Sure, yeah. And last episode, we had you kind of going through a series of answers that you considered Uh cop-outs before you reached your conclusion. But for me, I have a couple of answers that I I don't necessarily think are cop-outs, but I don't think they fit the criteria perfectly. So I'm going to go through them as I tell you all about a strategy rpg that i love all right let's hear them my reaction last week was less than positive to this quest i'm not a huge fan of strategy games i watched during college i I had a friend who i watched him play through an entire fire emblem campaign and i was like 
wow, watching this from the backseat is a whole lot of fun because I'm not having to do any of the <laughs> stressful stuff that involve that a strategy game involves. But strategy games usually are are more combat centric than regular JRPGs or regular RPGs are uh, in particular. You're usually presented with a map and you are using your units to overcome the challenges and quirks of that map. And so when I was thinking about games in that vein that I actually like, I had to, of course, make a, a very distinct difference between what a tactics game and a strategy game is. Mm, interesting. So, yeah, this, this might these definitions might conflict for some people because especially uh, with an individual who's maybe played a game like Final Fantasy Tactics, you might think of that as a tactics game. I personally see that as a strategy game. And I know that's a weird thing to say, uh, but strategy games to me more are about customizing individual units and utilizing them in the field. And a tactics game is more about having generic units that you toss up against each other. So I would think something like Advanced Wars is more in the, in the vein or, or line of tactics gameplay than it is strategy gameplay. That's just my personal classification of these. I know some people who flip those definitions. Um, and a game that I find to be a little bit more tactics than it is strategy uh, would be a game that I love very dearly, which is called Into the Breach. It's a fairly recent game. It's made by the developers of Faster Than Light, uh, FTL, which was really popular uh, in terms of its rogue, roguelike gameplay, I should say. And Into the Breach is also a roguelike game, but all of your battles take place on an 8 by 8 grid that you have three units on and those units are a part of a team that you select at the very beginning of your campaign and you have to overcome the challenges of those maps you're fighting against these giant bugs uh, and they're trying to destroy buildings because buildings power your mechs and so they're not necessarily going after your mechs sometimes they're going after your buildings but you need to try to circumvent them or stop them from attacking buildings uh, while defeating them at the same time. Whoa, that sounds epic. <laughs> yeah, except it all plays out on this little 8x8 grid, um, and so maps are really claustrophobic in some ways, uh, but the gameplay is really a whole lot more roguelike than it is strategy. I mean, there is strategy elements to it, uh, but I don't think it is as strategy-esque as some of my later picks. So I felt that it was a little bit of a cop-out answer, especially because I think it's better known for being a roguelike than it is a strategy game. Very cool game, though. I also thought about some other Steam-based games. I personally am the biggest fan in the entire world, I think, of Codename Steam, which was a 3DS strategy game made by Intelligent Systems, the same people who make Fire Emblem, but it is a steampunk game in which characters that are from texts that represent the spirit of Americana, such as Henry Fleming's The Red uh, Badge of Courage, um, or 
is it Henry Fleming? Oh gosh, as an English that teacher, I should right. really, <laughs> I should really know this. I'll fact for check certain. it. Um, in in any case, uh, characters like John Henry, um, characters like Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz, who lives out in Kansas, all come together and tote steam powered automatic weapons to fight against hp lovecraft inspired aliens (laughs) whoa which is a crazy combination in its own way and it's also backed by this incredible this this incredible hard rock soundtrack and the art style is based off of silver age comic books so it's this huge aesthetic mishmash but unfortunately there's no real role-playing character progression systems in this game you're collecting a lot of currency and you're spending that currency on gear to outfit your characters but the gear that you outfit uh, your characters with is very limited and you're really more relying on their innate skills to overcome certain challenges so i felt that that didn't really fall into the rpg right they they did a good mashup but they left out one important component (laughs) Well, I would also argue, though, that the lack of RPG progression just makes this an even more enjoyable strategy game because you can't really upgrade your unit's abilities to overcome enemies that you're fighting. You really have to rely on their strategic quirks and and the things that they offer in order to overcome your enemies, which I think is really cool. That makes sense. So I obviously talked a little bit about SteamWorld Quest, which I also really, really like. Uh, it's a very brief RPG, and while I love it a whole lot, it's not my favorite strategy game, although I would say it is probably the closest of the games I've listed so far that would be a true strategy game. But instead, I'm going to go with a very small title that truly stole my heart. And I'm so glad that this game came to the Switch because I had not heard about it before uh, I saw this released on Switch. And I am so glad that I now know about it. What is it? It's called... (laughs) It is called Children of Zodiacs. And that's a weird name. And this game is weird, but it is so cool. It is, to me, the best parts of strategy... And also the best parts of, drumroll, deck building mechanics as well. Yes. (laughs) So this is a deck building, dice rolling, turn-based strategy game uh, that you can find on PC. I think you can find it on some of the last gen, so Xbox One, PS4 uh, consoles. And you can also find it on the Nintendo Switch as well. It is an absolutely fascinating world. It's so rich in personality and lore. You're playing as these individuals who are a member of a group of bandits who they're they're almost Robin Hood-esque characters. So they're they're stealing from the rich in order to give back to the poor. And these things that the rich uh, really cherish more than anything in the world is these ancient relics from an old society that lived long before the current one that's in place that 
that is unfolding in the the game as you're playing. And these these relics are called zodiacs. And so zodiacs are unique in that there are these devices that are sometimes equipment. Most of the times they're equipment, actually. Uh, and when they're put on a, an individual, they grant them these incredible powers, but they also take something from those people as well. So one of the mage characters in this game, they they have this gauntlet that allows them to cast spells, but it has eaten away their entire arm. So it's just flesh and bones underneath that really creepy sort of stuff. But that's only one of the characters that you get to play as. You get to play as this awesome thief character who is is just so cool and has uh, again the the game has this amazing visual style and then it has this great gameplay too so you're drafting these cards uh you're you're creating a a deck for all of your characters Uh, and the the neat thing is each of your characters draws a hand for them specifically and they can use a certain amount of cards during their specific turn. So you're actually creating three different decks because you can only have three characters on the field uh, at a single time, but you get to build exactly how those decks are going to operate and what benefits they're going to have. Just such a cool progression of uh, of skills and abilities and then there's also dice rolling on top of it too and it does this absolutely amazing thing where the the dice are based on a a physics engine so you can actually roll them across the screen and see what your your role would be cool Um, it's it's such a neat uh system and it's also a relatively short rpg too i i want to say it's maybe a little bit over 20 hours uh, but it is a, a very isolated story. You're, you're seeing really from the perspective of this main thief character, uh, a very life-changing event for her. And it happens maybe over the course of a couple of days. So it's a very intimate, scaled story. Uh, but the, the strategy scenarios that you get to encounter are really varied and unique. And I just, I can't sing my praises of this game enough. <laughs> That sounds amazing. It's already on my on my list. Yeah, um, so very unique, uh, very un- unlike anything I've seen from the strategy genre, and it fortunately integrates a lot of the mechanics that I like about some of my favorite games in general, which I think is really what made it resonate with me so much. That's awesome. It's like your your own personal Super Smash Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it is kind of a mishmash, and it's it's almost a shame because right as this game came out, I was also reviewing another game, which I, I will throw out here just really quickly, uh, called Grand Guilds, which I believe might have been a kickstarted uh, project, but is like a, it's more indie. I believe Children of Zodiacs was published by Square Enix. Uh, okay. I don't think it was made by any of Square Enix teams in particular, but it might have been published and also maybe produced by them too. Uh, So the budget was a little bit better, and you can definitely see that because the art style is way cleaner and even the graphics are really neat. You know, a lot of 
tactics games have a grid, but mm-hmm. the characters are only sprites. That's not the case with Children of Zodiacs. All of the characters are full 3D renders, which is super cool. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, and so Grand Guilds came out on the Switch like right at the same time, and it's also a deck-building RPG, but it really just doesn't... It doesn't pull all of those elements together as perfectly as Children of Zodiacs does. Sounds amazing. Are there any other pieces of the game that you want to talk about, or...? things that (laughs) blow you away uh i just i was really quite floored by how unique of a setting and premise Mm -hmm. it had you know there there is a lot of lore and there are little side missions that you can kind of get into there's there's very clearly a a narrative path and you're going through acts and scenes uh, and each scene is is a different map but there's there's backstab mechanics there's just a lot of depth to to what you can do in the combat and the the characters are are again very unique i if there's one thing that i would kind of maybe i I don't want to say fault the game for because i think it's so intimate in scale that it doesn't require any more characters than the ones that you play as but the cast of characters that you do get to play as is very small unfortunately Mm. and so when i say you only get to use three characters on the or in the battles uh that's because there are only three characters to play as okay and i I will say there there's a fourth but something happens to them and i don't want to spoil it and i don't think i am spoiling anything by saying something happens to them but uh, so you really only get to experiment with around four decks uh of of cards Although there there are a couple of side missions too, again where you're playing as an antagonist and you get oh. to use their deck of cards, which is just like a really neat little feature. Interesting. Um, and so I, I love games like this that are very clearly a, a smaller project made by a, a smaller studio, but they they really go the limit with all of the ideas and mechanics that they put into the game i respect that uh, a, a great deal sounds amazing it has a lot going on and it, it does have a lot all going working on. yeah and it, it almost like again i know that it's it's not made by any of square enix's major uh, development studios i i and honestly i'm not really sure if the the studio who made it has made anything else after that point because i when I was writing a review for the game itself, I looked into it and it, it didn't seem like they had made anything else, hmm. but I was really blown away by how full featured uh, a game like this could feel. And again, I, I think that one of the, one of the elements of strategy games that tends to wear on me is the length of the campaign. Yes. So same here. <laughs> yeah, my, the only Fire Emblem I've ever completed was Fire Emblem Awakening, and I completed it because it was like the hot thing mm-hmm. on the 3DS when it first came out, and it did have some like quality of life improvements and new mechanics that made it more accessible for someone like me, but by the end of that game, I mean, I think I'd played like 90-ish hours, and I was like, I, I think I'm good on Fire Emblem for like another 15 to 20 yeah. years. Yeah. 
I, I don't want to play this anymore. And so that's something that I find really valuable in a, in a strategy game is when they tell a story that is succinct enough to to warrant the the length of its gameplay. Agreed, because those those like tactical battles on like a map grid take so much longer than like a random encounter in another kind of RPG. Like you're gonna be there for a while, so you don't want to play hundreds of them. <laughs> like you for can't sure. just replace and... a normal encounter in another game with one of those battles because they're so long. Yeah, and again, if you fail that encounter, you have to replay it. <laughs> oh, I, I hate that, yeah. And yeah, that's the thing with like um, Fire Emblem games. I really enjoy them, and I find them really fun, but I just wish there were fewer units on the battlefield or, or smaller maps, I think, because you spend so much time just like moving each character a few spaces and then waiting for the enemy to do the same, and then a few more spaces... And that's like several turns before the battle even actually starts that I'm like, can we get on with this? Yeah. And so it's why sometimes these smaller maps and, mm-hmm. and just smaller scaled games tend to appeal to me more. And to go back to a game like SteamWorld Heist, uh, all, of the, all of the maps in that game are spaceships. So you are getting onto enemy spaceships and you're fighting the enemies in there and then you leave the spaceship and because these aren't giant battleships you know the size of the ship that you're getting into and you know that the length of the mission isn't going to be all that long that's That's another benefit of uh of into the breach as well that eight by eight grid and i would also say children of zodiacs knows how long its maps need to be um, and it, it makes sure that each map, it, it doesn't feel like any of the maps in the game are filler maps. You know, you might be in the sewers at one point because, you know, every RPG needs a sewer sequence. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, but they make sure that the enemies that you encounter in that sewer make sense for that moment and that that map even, that sewer map, might not even be that huge so that you can get those enemies out of the way and then you can move on. I like it. I appreciate when when games understand that we have a limited amount of time in our lives. For sure. <laughs> we want to enjoy it and get on with the story and get on with the gameplay. And so... To just kind of finish up this conversation really quick, I know I've gushed about this game a whole lot, and I think more people should play it because I don't hear a whole lot said about it, uh, just on online spaces. But there is one other game, too, that I wanted to throw out as an honorable mention, which a lot of people might find to be sacrilegious because it's an RPG, but it's based on a platformer and also another weird character that not a lot of people like. But my god, if you haven't played Mario and Rabbids Kingdom Battle, that is one of my favorite strategy games I've ever played in my entire life. Wow, I haven't played that. I'm, I'm bumping that one up in the list too. Well, the great thing about it is it goes on sale really frequently. I think not too long ago, the regular version of it was like, Fifteen dollars. I saw that. Then, yeah, I was like, "Do I just buy?" Like, I have too much going on, but like, it's really hard to pass up something like that. So maybe next time I see it, I'll jump on it. There, there is a reason why 
around E3 when there were like talks of a sequel to that game coming out. I was saying on online, there's a record of it. I was like, no joke. This is one of the games I'm most excited about being announced at E3. Uh, Mario and Rabbids, it takes it takes very unappealing characters in the Rabbids, and it takes Mario mechanics, such as jumping off enemies' heads and such, and it combines them in such a charming way that uh, you can definitely tell the people who worked on it at Ubisoft really did have an appreciation for the material that they were working with. But that's all I'm going to say about that. We might have more to talk about in the future, especially when the sequel comes out, which I'm super excited about. I'm sure we will. And hopefully I will have played the first one by then. Yeah, definitely. That's the plan. (laughs) For sure. Congratulations on completing your quest, Evan. I know you weren't as excited about this one as some of the other ones, but you did it and you found a game that you loved and were able to tell us all more about. Yeah, I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't certain. I at first, I wasn't sure if I was even going to have much to talk about. But as I was looking back at my backlog, I realized I've played a whole lot more strategy <laughs> games than I would like to admit. It's interesting when we're looking at these like subgenre quests to really think through like what is this genre and like what have I played? Because I think we've played more than we think we have. And like I was talking about strategy games last time and. And I was like, oh, I forgot Fire Emblem. I've played Fire Emblem games. So, like, I was like, I've only played Final Fantasy Tactics. But there's always, like, more when you when you look through your backlog and things you have played already, too. I think it's, it's always nice to rethink video games in terms of overarching mechanics. Mm-hmm. Uh, because there, there's obviously such a propensity and such a gravitation towards franchises yep uh, just just in a very commercialized genre like rpgs or not even just rpgs just video games in general right um so bringing it back to these these overarching uh genres and qualities can be really satisfying yeah i think that's a really great point i like it let's let's keep this in mind as we charge forward um and before we go to our next quests I just wanted to give a quick aside to loop back and confirm that you were correct that Henry Fleming is the protagonist of the Red Badge of Courage. Oh, thank God. Yep. Nailed <laughs> just it. In case, just in case any of my students were to ever come across this podcast and roast me for that. Yep, that I, we can't I have, have that. That would be sure. too awkward. So, <laughs> confirm. It's right. Everyone listen to your teacher. That's right. I, I know. I know who wrote the Red Badge of Courage. You do. So why don't we get rolling with our next quests? I know last time I rolled first, but this time I think we're going to toss it over to you first, Will. All right. So do you you have your your six-sided dice? I have my dice ready to go. All right. Let's give it a roll. Okay. I'm just trying to pick it up without making too much noise here. Okay. I got it. Okay. (laughs) Here we go. So I'm on 10 right now, if you're following along. Uh, About a third... Am I a third? Oh, fourth of the way through. There's 40 quests. That's how math works. About a fourth of the way through the board. So let's see where I end up. Here we go. Five. I'm I'm plowing along. Oh my god. Yeah, you One, are getting great rolls. Two, three, four, five. Ooh, oh monster boy. catching. <laughs> that sounds fun. That's another one that I've been um, 
like I talked about last time as another genre I'm gonna get more into because I I really enjoy that those kind of mechanics and ideas and especially like mixing up and mixing and matching a team so I'm excited about that one that sounds fun this will be a quest where I'll be throwing lots of recommendations in. Excellent. I'd love to hear them. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to give mine a roll. Gosh, I hope I get something decent. Let's give it a <laughs> shot. Oh, my goodness. Of course. I got a one. A one? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, which means I get to continue my train of negativity with a bad Yay. sequel to an RPG. That sounds fun. <laughs> I like it when you have hot takes. Oh, yeah. I'm glad you do. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun for me. All right. Well, yeah, this is going to be fun. I, 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 gosh, I don't even know. I don't know. I, I will eat. I'll have to think about this. I have some recommendations for you, too. As well. Oh, oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I was thinking about that one, actually, the other day. Yikes. Well, I, I could go, I could, I could make next episode my soapbox and talk about why Xenoblade 2 is, is a bad sequel, but I've also played 425 hours of that game, so I don't think I'm in any place to, to say that I didn't enjoy it. You can try. all right but i i do think yeah that is is gonna just about do it for our quests today so we're just gonna go through uh or actually i i did want to mention one last thing before we go into our outro will what's uh, that which is hopefully by the point of us uh posting this episode we will be accompanying this with a lovely little graphic that a fan i guess of the show uh, submitted to us um i'm really hoping that we can get their permission <laughs> to share this uh, but they put together a lovely uh, interactive board that you guys at home can follow along with so i know will kind of shared this with me because he saw it first uh, but it seems like someone has gamified the listening experience yes. for the rpg pod quest which i think is so cool um and even has some great little, you know, you can complete a quest by writing into us and recommending a game based on the quest that you take. Uh, so if you want to follow along with the podcast, we're hopefully we're going to be posting that graphic. But will do you remember who uh, shared that with us, their Twitter handle? I am just looking up to confirm so I don't get it wrong. But yeah, it's super cool. Um, it's super awesome. And it's, uh, it it's especially really great because uh, when Will talked about it last episode, like him envisioning the quest board as a board game, mm-hmm. <laughs> this person actually literally created this Made board game happen. version. Um, yeah, so yeah, this was is... sent in by RPG underscore writer on Twitter. Yes, uh, who actually, uh, I believe, has contributed to Switch RPG uh, in the past. Uh, so... Thank you very much. Uh, it looks awesome, and I hope that we can get some people to follow along with us. Yeah, it's super cool, and like just by creating that, it's like another, another reach and another way to involve people, which I think is really fun. Because I think that's like as I always come back to RPGs are all about creating a party and partying. Yes, and we so, like to party. Yeah, we like to party with you. So <laughs> join us on our quests. 
All right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think that's going to wrap it up for us today here. But thank you for joining us today. Again, this is again more of our normal, our normal structure from here on out, I think is what we did today because the first couple episodes were an intro to us and then an intro to the idea of the quest and that kind of thing. But this is like a bread and butter what our episodes are going to look like from here on out. I'm sure they'll evolve over time, but this is kind of the structure so you know what to expect and you know how to join in. This is roughly one third of how all the podcasts go so far. Exactly. (laughs) So who knows? The sky's the limit. But yeah, um, if you want to find us, you can find um, RPG Podcast Now pretty much anywhere where you get your podcasts on Spotify, Anchor, Apple, Google, Um, You can find us there. Please check us out. Drop us a rating, a review if you want. We'd love to hear from you. And we'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas for quests and your opinion of some of the topics that we've covered, ideas for quests. And you can find us on Twitter at RPG PodQuest. And you can also find me, Will, on Twitter at CosmicXLibrary. And Evan, do you want to tell everyone where they can find you? Sure, you can find me at R-P-G-S-E-B, lots of letters, on Twitter uh, as well. And I also write on Switch RPG, who we might have some information uh, to share about a potential collaboration. Excellent. Yeah, that's going to do it for us today. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us, and we look forward to you joining us again on our quest.